Good evening, everyone. Hope you've had a good day. Hope you had lots of fun during the activities and during free time. Hope you didn't get hit with too many paintballs. And hopefully you are full, but not full enough to fall asleep until later. It is good to be together again. And I'm excited to open the word with you again this evening. Brief recap of this morning. We talked about why God created the world. Before he created the world, he was loving. Because our God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Eternally loving within the Trinity. And that Trinitarian God then creates the world in order to share his love. In order to create people who can be in relationship with him, see his glory, enjoy his glory, and experience his love. We talked about two principles that will help you enjoy God every day. The first was that union is the basis of communion. Here's a bonus analogy that I didn't share this morning. I've got a ring on my finger. It's because I'm married to Rachel. And this ring is a symbol of our union, our marriage union. And as long as this ring is on my finger, which is permanently, I am united to Rachel. Now, day by day, our amount of communion goes up and down. Some days we are just loving the marriage life and feeling super close, and other days, not so much. Marriage is like that. But no matter how high or how low our communion goes, we always have that union. And this is the, the backstop, so that no matter how rough of a day we have, I can look at my finger and say, okay... I'm not going anywhere. She's not going anywhere. We have this union. And now, off of that union, I can then, again, have the energy to strive for communion with my wife. And so, likewise, with God, we who are Christians have union with God, even on our worst days. And because of that union, we can then be excited about the chance to have communion, to have friendship and fellowship with God. And then the second principle this morning is that you can relate to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit. Like we've done with a song like Grace Alone. You can sing to each of them. And your spiritual life will be richer if you think about how to relate to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit. Do I need to do something different up here? Are we getting feedback? I don't know. I'll let you adjust it. So... That is brief recap, and I am going to pray in order to bring us into the second session. So join me in prayer. Father, we come to you tonight, and we want to learn about you. Please remove misconceptions and give us a clearer view of how deep your love is for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever felt insecure or uncertain about how you did on a test in school? Maybe it's a big test like a final and you spent a lot of hours studying for it. The big day comes, you take the test, and then there's that period of time between when you take the test and when you get your grade for the test. And sometimes there's a bit of uncertainty in between those two moments. Even if you feel like, yeah, I think I studied hard and I did well, and the problems were challenging, but I'm pretty sure I got the right answers. There can still be that feeling of uncertainty, that insecurity. You're not really sure 
It could be that you thought you were doing better than you actually were, and you actually got a lower grade. I remember I, I took some tests in college that were on the computer, and as soon as I finished and hit submit, it would auto-grade, and I would immediately know how I did. And I was just terrified sitting there after it answered the last question, just looking at that submit button. Like, once I hit this, it, it's all over. And, and it's been a good test, but I'm just not really sure. And then I get the grade. It's like, okay, I did not flunk the course. There's that uncertainty when you're not really sure of your status, of how you're doing. And sometimes Christians experience something analogous to that in their relationship with God the Father. Christianity 101 is that God loves us. John 3.16, God so loved the world. But I think a lot of Christians, and maybe you'll resonate with this, go through their day-to-day -day lives not entirely convinced that the Father deeply deeply loves them. You may not go through your days thinking, yeah, how deep the Father's love for me. That's a good description. You might wonder some days, does the Father really love me deep down? Can he look at me in, in the mess and the failure and the sinner that I am and feel something besides revulsion and irritation? And so tonight we're going to look at Enjoying the Father Every Day. That's the title of this message. Enjoying the Father Every Day. The big idea for this message, you might want to write this down. The big idea is we enjoy the Father by receiving His love. We enjoy the Father by receiving His love. First, foremost, primary way that you can commune with God the Father is by receiving His love. The Apostle John, in the first chapter of his epistle, says that he's writing the letter of 1 John so that his readers may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John says we have fellowship with the Father, and the whole book reveals that that fellowship is a fellowship in love. I think particularly of 1 John chapter 4. Welcome to turn there if you'd like. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. John says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John clearly teaches that God is love. And here when John says God, he's referring especially to the Father. And we know that because in verse 9, John says that God sent his only son into the world. And the Son is obviously Jesus, and so the God who is sending his Son is particularly the Father. And John, therefore, wants us to understand that the Father is love. Not just that he is loving, so that happens to be a characteristic of him, but that he is love itself. Kindness itself. Beneficence itself. God is love. 
And the primary way that you can enjoy the Father is by receiving that love. So tonight we're going to look at two misconceptions about the Father's love, and then two ways, practical ways, that you can enjoy the Father's love. Two misconceptions, and then two practical ways. Misconception number one. The Father doesn't love me in his dark heart. Misconception number one. The Father doesn't love me in his dark heart. Dark heart is a term that I learned uh, about a year ago. And it, it's sort of like when somebody asks your parents, if you have multiple siblings, somebody asks your parents, okay, so, so who's your favorite kid? They're like, well, I don't have any favorite kids. They're all my favorites. And then, then the person leans and says, okay. But what about in your dark heart? Which one's really your favorite? And then your parents, of course, say that you are their favorite because, you know, we know. The, the, the dark heart, the, the deep down real heart. Not, not the thing that your parents put forward, not the thing that somebody puts in front for public viewing, but deep down inside where it's dark and there may be some cobwebs. Well, what's it really like down in the dark heart? And alongside the, the knowledge that, oh yeah, yeah, the Father loves us, I think a lot of Christians have an insecurity that maybe deep down in his dark heart, the Father doesn't actually like us that much. Especially when you see reasons for somebody not to like you, especially when you feel like a failure. You can have that sense of insecurity and uncertainty. Say, yeah, yeah, I know God loves me, but I've really not been a good Christian lately. I really haven't been living for him. He's probably really disappointed in me. And, you know, I'd like to know him better, but he probably just wants to hold me at a little bit of a distance. Like, yeah, I know the Father loves me, but, but way deep down in his dark heart, I think he's really just disgusted with me right now. That's the misconception, that, that God doesn't actually love you in his dark heart. But the real problem isn't that. God does not have a dark heart toward you, Christian. Rather, the problem isn't in some sort of dark heart in God. The problem is our own dark thoughts toward him. We tend to have dark thoughts of God, doubting thoughts. Thoughts that he doesn't actually love us that much. Dane Ortland, in his wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly, talks about these dark thoughts that we have toward God. He says, the fall in Genesis 3 not only sent us into condemnation and exile, the fall also entrenched in our minds dark thoughts of God, thoughts that are only dug out over multiple exposures to the gospel over many years. Perhaps Satan's greatest victory in your life today is not the sin in which you regularly indulge, but the dark thoughts of God's heart that cause you to go there in the first place and keep you cool toward him in the wake of it. Dane Ortland is saying that our sin causes us to doubt the Father's love toward us. Ever since Genesis 3, we found it hard to believe that the Father really loves us. And Ortland says so provocatively, 
What if Satan's greatest victory in your life, Christian, isn't that he gets you to commit some sin, but that he causes you to have such dark thoughts toward God that you prefer that sin? And because of those dark thoughts, you don't go to him afterward, but you just try to hide. That might be a greater victory for Satan than just the sin itself, but causing you to miss the heart of the Father and run away and hide. And so the cure for these dark thoughts is that we have to again and again hear the truth of how deep the Father's love is for us. The cure is believing that God actually loves you, Christian. 1 John 4.16 is a verse that I'd never noticed much before preparing this message. It says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We've come to know the Father's love and we've come to believe the Father's love. And I get no. Yeah, we know the Father loves us. But do you, Christian, believe the Father's love for you? Do you really believe deep down in your own heart, yes, the Father loves me. He is for me. He has chosen me and saved me in Christ, and now nothing can separate me from his love. Do you not only know the love that God has for you, but do you believe it? Can you sing a song like How Deep the Father's Love for Us with gusto, saying, yes, this is my Father? What do you do when you're struggling with that? Well, what do you do when you're finding it hard to believe that God actually loves you? What you have to do is you have to hear specific passages from the Bible and believe them. You have to find a passage that tells you how God actually feels towards you, hear it, and actually dare to believe it. A passage like 1 Thessalonians 1.4 Paul writes, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. You just go right past the brothers. Loved by God. Brothers and sisters in God's family, you are loved by God, and I, Paul, know that he has chosen you. You hear that, you believe, you say, yes, I am beloved of God. In Christ, because I'm connected to him, the Father loves me. Or you hear Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. It says that the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The Father, Christian, chose you before the foundation of the world to be a part of his family. And he did it in love. He did it because he loves you. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That verse deserves an exclamation point at the end of it. John says, what sort of amazing love is this? We get to be God's children. That is what we are. You hear it, you believe it, you say, yes, yes, God does love me this way. Or 1 John 4.10, read it earlier, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
So my love relationship with God isn't about me having loved him or you having loved him. It's that God loved you first, and he sent his son to be the sacrifice for your sins. The Father truly loves you. Or Romans 8.32, speaking of the Father, Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Notice how Paul writes that. He doesn't just say, the Father who gave his son. He says, the Father who did not spare his own son. It would have been... So easy for the Father to spare Jesus the pain of the cross. But because he and his Son had determined to save those who would believe, the Father didn't spare Jesus that pain, but he gave him up to go to the cross for all who trust in him. The Father's love is so deep that he was willing to let his Son be crucified. The way that you cure dark thoughts of God is by hearing passages like that and believing them. Some days it's hard. Some days you need a friend to call you up or to call a friend and to talk to them about it. I was on the phone with Clifton like a month ago as we were talking through logistics and at the end of the call he was like, what's one question that I should have asked you but didn't? Like, you know, Clifton asked me, what is the gospel? And so he asked me, what is the gospel? And I went through the gospel, that the gospel is the message that there is a God who is glorious and good, and he has created this wonderful world, but that we humans have rebelled against him, fallen away from him, and now are separated from him without a relationship. But God the Father, being so full in love, devised a rescue plan, and in the fullness of time he sent his son to be born of a woman, to be truly God and truly man. And that son, Jesus Christ, lived a perfect human life and then died a death that he did not deserve. He died that death in the place of all his people. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to show that he, and not death, was victorious. So now anyone who places his or her faith in Jesus Christ is taken out of the sphere of condemnation and brought into the sphere of the Father's love. And all one has to do is trust. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And we need one another, Christians, to remind each other when it's hard to believe that the Father really loves us. When we think that the Father has a dark heart toward us, that's not the case. It's our own dark thoughts of Him that need to be overwhelmed by repeated reminders of the truth that God the Father loves his children. John Owen, the Puritan theologian who lived a couple hundred years ago, wrote, The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him, is... What would you put in that blank? The, the, the greatest burden that you can give the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to the Father, what, what would you put in that blank? Not obeying him, not going to church, using his name in vain, 
What would you put in that blank? Here's what John Owen put in that blank. The greatest unkindness you can do to the Father is not to believe that he loves you. Think how the Father feels. He who is so full of love, so desirous of helping you, Christian, to know his love for you, when you walk around not feeling it, not believing it, thinking, okay, maybe the Father just loves me a little bit. It's a sorrow and a burden to the Father's heart that his love isn't more known. Just like you would be frustrated with a friend who was convinced that you were mad at them, and you kept trying to reassure, no, I'm not mad at you. I really care about you. I know you messed up and you did that dumb thing the other day, but no, 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 our friendship's good. It's really good. You say, no, I don't really think so. I think you're really mad deep down. You're just saying those things. You get so frustrated. No, I, I really do care about you. I'm not just saying these things. And so also with the Father, it sorrows him when he is so full of love to us, but we, because of our dark thoughts, can't even see it. So don't let that be a misconception anymore. The Father does deeply love you, Christian. Misconception number two. The Father only loves me because Jesus died for me. The Father only loves me because Jesus died for me. Christian, why does the Father love you? You might be tempted to say, well, the Father loves me because Jesus died for me. And that's not quite right. John 3.16 says that God, speaking of the Father, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Question, which came first, the love or the giving? The love. God so loved the world that he gave. The Father's love comes first, the giving of his son to die comes second. Christian, the situation is not that God the Father was so super mad at you that he wanted to just crush you and squelch you like a bug. But then Jesus jumped in and said, no, I'll do it instead. You be mad at me, and then you have to let them into heaven. And the Father said, okay, fine. Huh? That's not how it happened. Rather, it is that God the Father was so full of love for a world of rotten sinners that he got together with the, the Son and the Spirit, so to speak, and devised a rescue plan, which involved the Son coming to earth to die for you. The Father's love is what started it all. It's not that the Father was really, really mad, and then Jesus jumped in, and now he's kind. It's rather that the Father has always loved you, Christian, has always loved you. And he is not only loving, but also good. And so as long as you are bad, his love can't get close to you, because his love is so good it would burn you up. His God is a holy God, and his love is a holy love. And so the Father sent the Son, and the Son willingly went, and he took that holy wrath of God, so that now there's no longer any obstacle between the Father and you. If you're listening tonight and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, 
then you are not in that situation. You are in the situation where the Father's wrath still lies upon you because of your sin. God is good, and He is holy, and He does hate sin. And He has sent His Son so that you might be saved from that wrath. Don't reject that love. Don't spurn His compassion. Instead, trust in Jesus Christ. Believe in Him and be saved. the second misconception, that the Father only loves me because Jesus died for me. No, Christian, the Father has loved you for all of eternity, and it is precisely that love which caused him to send the Son, so that he might take the wrath on your behalf, so that you would not have to experience wrath, but only mercy. Now, two practical ways to enjoy the Father's love. Number one, in every pleasure Enjoy the Father's loving generosity. In every pleasure, enjoy the Father's loving generosity. Tim Chester writes that one way we relate to God the Father, one way we enjoy Him, is to see these good things we experience as His gifts. We go through the world with so many evidences of the Father's love for us. You walk through the world and all around you, Christian, are evidences that God the Father truly loves you, that He is a generous Father who gives so many good gifts to you. And it's sort of like Pokemon Go. Is that still around? Is that only a thing a couple years ago? It still is, okay. I've never played it, but as much as I understand it, apparently there are Pokemon like everywhere. Like uh, apparently around this camp there are probably Pokemon. And if I had the app, I could walk around and somehow find some Pokemon that are just around. And I can't do that because I don't have the app. And so if I walk around this camp calling for Pikachu, I'm not gonna find him. Because I don't have the right lens. Maybe Pikachu's out there with his Charizard and all Squirtle and all those people, and they're doing whatever they do. I'm never going to see any of them because I don't have the right lens going on. I don't have the app to be able to discover them. Are you going through life like that with all of these evidences of the Father's goodness, all of these wonderful gifts in the world around you, and you're just blind and you don't see them because you don't have the lens on? Because you're not looking for them? You've got to have that mindset that this is the Father's world. And so he has filled it chock full of wonderful things like churros that you get to enjoy. You've got to go through life like that. Go through it believing what James 1.17 says, that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights. You've got to believe 1 Timothy 6.17 who describes God as the one who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Go through life with that lens. I think back to Thanksgiving break early on in seminary, and I went up to a camp with Clifton and another seminary friend, and we were just at a camp like this, but nobody else was there. It was like just us and the people who owned the camp. And we just had connections through another seminary guy. And he said, you know, come on up and just spend Thanksgiving weekend here. And so we did. And we had so much fun. We, we 
uh, were like 30 minutes away from a little town that had a little movie theater, so we were going to go watch a movie together. And you know, the, the road was like a way all around looking on the maps. And then we noticed there's this little squiggly line that just goes like straight there. And we're like, oh, that looks so much shorter. And, and maps is saying, no, go this way. We're like, no, 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 we'll, we'll, just, we'll just go this way. And so we start going that way, and then we realize that it's, it's like an off-road road. And so we're in my Toyota Celica, which is like a just four-door sedan, not at all an off-road vehicle. We're just bumping along, going over it, and eventually we get to a place where there's like a giant pit in the middle of the road. And only the giant 4x4 pickup that coming, that's coming behind us is able to go through it. And at that point, we look at one another and we're like, I think we took the wrong road. And so we go back and we, and we drive around. And just experiences like that, if you look at it through the lens of the Father's love, there's so much to enjoy about his generosity. The generosity of the, the people who let us stay there for free. The, the kindness of a mutual friend to invite us, of Clifton and his friend to invite me to come along. The, the fun that we had going off-roading and taking pictures of my car that was so totally not equipped for off-roading. Uh, photos that I still have somewhere. The enjoyment of good conversation, good food, getting to walk around the town. So many ways to enjoy the gifts that our Father has given. I think earlier today, think about paintball, those of you who played. And those of you who weren't doing paintball were probably doing something just as fun. But there's something wonderful about just getting to run around in the creation and duck down and jump up and just peg somebody perfectly with a paintball gun. It's just <laughs> glorious. <laughs> Thank you, Father, for such a good gift. And you can go through life that way, experiencing all of these wonderful things and not just being like, oh, yeah, that was cool. Oh, yeah, that was cool. But realizing that they are all like beams of light that come down to us from the sun of our Father's love. And so every time you see a, a scattered sunbeam of God's goodness, you can look up the beam to God himself and say, Thank you, Father, for this. Thank you for that. You are so generous to me. In every pleasure, you can enjoy the Father's loving generosity. Try it for the rest of this camp. Put on that lens. You won't see any Charizards, but you just might see some evidence of your loving Father's generosity. Second way to enjoy the Father's love, in every hardship, enjoy the Father's loving formation. In every hardship, enjoy the Father's loving formation. Some of you might find it easier to enjoy God when life is going well. You might feel closer to God when things are generally going your way, is easy, there aren't any significant trials, and that's understandable. But, but sometimes life is not easy. Sometimes life is really, really hard. There's one theologian named D.A. Carson who has said, in your life you are either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or about to go into the next trial. Which is his way of saying, life is full of trouble. Life is full of problems. It's not always going to be easy. And so we need to learn how to enjoy God, not just when life is full of pleasures, but also when life is full of hardship. And we're helped in that by Hebrews chapter 12. 
the author to the, the Hebrews describes the Christian life as a race. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then, in the following verses, he says that God is training us for this race. Hebrews 12, 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Tim Chester describes this discipline, and he says that God's discipline is like a, a training regime to get us into shape so we can fight the good fight and finish the race. Training is hard. I was talking to a couple of you who got up this morning and went running because you're on the track and field team. They were like, yeah, it's hard, especially because we're so high. Like, we get out of breath just walking, and then we have to start running, and then we have to run a mile, and then we got to run another mile and another one. Training is really hard, whether it's for, for that, whether it's training in order to do well in school. Training is often painful, and yet it's worth it because of where it takes you. There's a race set before you. There's a goal at the end, and so you are willing to endure the difficulty of the training. I think of a, a father who is with his kid at a playground. And the, the kid is you know five or six and climbs up one of those little climbing walls that just has the handholds on both sides. And he gets up to the top and then he starts to try to climb over and then he's like, Dad, I'm stuck, help me. And the dad's like, if you got up there, you can get down. That's what my dad would say to me. If you got up there, you can get down. And the kid's like, no, no, I'm going to fall and die. Help me. And so dad says, no, no, you, you got up there. You can climb down. He says, no, please. And the dad eventually comes over. He's like, okay, I'm right here. If you fall, I'm going to catch you. And so the kid like wobbles and totters. And then he gets his leg over. And he finds a foothold and he clambers down. He's like, I want to do it again. Then he goes up and down, and he gets better at it. And eventually he's just going up and over and would never think to have to call his dad to help. If you were observing that, you might think at first, like, this dad is a monster. He just wants his kid to fall and break his neck. But that's not what the father's up to. He's actually trying to train his son to be able to do something that he couldn't do before. If the father just jumped in to help every time, then the son would never learn to go over and down and be able to actually enjoy that activity. And so in an analogous way, God uses the hardship in our lives to form us, formation, to shape us into people who are more like Jesus, into people who are better able to run the Christian race. God's discipline isn't to punish his children. Rather, it's to train Tim Chester says, For some of us, this may be very hard to do, but seeing this world as a fathered world enables us to welcome every hardship as a sign of the Father's love. And that has the power to turn a bad day into a good day. A bad day becomes a day full of God's fatherly discipline, and God's fatherly discipline is a sign of fatherly love. So I encourage you, next time you encounter a hardship, whether large or small, pray to God and say, Father, thank you for this. Please use it to make me more like Jesus.
the morning I started working on this message, my coffee attacked me. I make my own coffee at home. I've got a bag of beans, and I grind them. And then I have a little device called an AeroPress. And basically how it works is it's like a plastic cylinder, and you screw a, a little piece on the bottom, and then you are able to fill it with some coffee grounds. And then you pour the water in, and then you have a, a plunger that's slightly smaller than the cylinder, and you push it down into the cylinder, and the water goes through the coffee grounds, gets the coffee flavor, and then comes out of little holes in this bottom piece here. So, I've got my AeroPress, I've got the bottom piece, I put the bottom piece on, screw it on there, pour in the coffee grounds, pour in the water, wait for a little bit, and then I take the, the plunger and I push from the top down. And this bottom piece pops off, and all of my coffee grounds go into the mug along with all of the water. So now I have coffee slop instead of coffee. I don't know if you're coffee drinkers, if you ever just get the grounds, it's just gritty and not that tasty. And so I was like, ah, oh, this is so, so frustrating. And it's like, you know, 6.30 in the morning, it's before Rachel's gotten up, so I gotta be quiet. And so I get like a measuring cup and I get a filter and so I pour the coffee slop through the filter and try to get it out. And then I pour the water back, I'm like, okay, let's try this again. Put the grounds again, screw it in. Push it again. It happens again! It pops off and the coffee slop all goes into my mug. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm just having tea today. <laughs> and I don't know what God was doing for that. Um, I, I, I sat down and I prayed to him like, Father, thank you for this. Please use it to make me more like Jesus. Maybe it was just a test of my patience. Maybe God was being kind and giving me a story that I could tell you here. I don't know what it was. Uh, but I, I trust that because my father is a loving father, he used that to make me just a little bit more like Jesus. That I didn't go around throwing the coffee slop on the walls. I said, okay, thank you, Father. I trust you because I know you love me. So each time at the rest of this camp that something goes wrong, something will probably go wrong to you. It's just going to happen. Pray and say, thank you, Father. Please use this to make me more like Jesus. In every pleasure, enjoy the Father's loving generosity. And in every hardship, enjoy the Father's loving formation. Because the way that you enjoy God is by receiving his love for you. Would you pray with me? Father, it is a struggle for us to believe your love for us. We so easily doubt. We so easily just get distracted. We think about so many other things and we forget that you love us. We don't live in a constant awareness of your delight in us. And so I pray that these words as we've thought about them together, that you would use them to shape the way that we think and shape the way that we live. We want each day to enjoy you, and we want to get better at enjoying you day by day. We might not be very good at it yet, but we hope that we have years, decades even ahead of us, where we can continue to grow in our relationship with you. I pray that you would accomplish that good work in our lives, because you are so full of love to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, I have another book to give away. This is the book Enjoying God by Tim Chester. You've heard Tim Chester's name a couple times. I've quoted to him. This is one of the two books that I found most helpful as I was preparing these messages. The other one was a thicker book called Communion with the Triune God by John Owen. You've heard his name because I've quoted him. But Tim Chester is really strong on the practical part. In fact, both of the points that I had tonight of how to relate to the Father are variations on things that Tim Chester says in this book. It is very readable, very helpful. He has a few chapters on the Father, a few chapters on the Son, a few chapters on the Spirit. And I enjoyed reading this book, and I think you will too. Who would like this book? I think I saw Luke's hand first. All right, leaders, time to get out your pens. We've got a couple discussion questions, and then you can go to your discussion groups. Question number one. What verse can you use to remind yourself the Father loves you? What verse can you use to remind yourself the Father loves you? It could be one I read in this sermon, or even better, a different verse that you think of. What verse will you use to remind yourself the Father loves you? Question number two. What are three good things from this past week that you can thank God for? What are three good things from this past week that you can thank God for? Enjoy his loving generosity. Question number three. When is a time God used hardship to make you more like Jesus? When is a time God used hardship to make you more like Jesus? And then fourth, recommend that you end by having someone pray, and in that prayer to be sure to thank the Father for one good thing, one pleasure that you can enjoy his generosity in, and then also one hard thing that the Father is using to form you more like Jesus. So thank the Father for one good thing and one hard thing in your closing prayer. With that, you are dismissed.